We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 7th, the year 2019. Nick Whalen here with John McKechnie. John, last week we we dove into the Big Ten and the Big 12. Uh, a little bit more of an SEC focus today. Not even going to combine it with any other conferences. That's the amount uh, of content and, and obviously great players that we have in the SEC this season. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, a couple very important things to touch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk hard knocks or do you want to talk table memes first? Um, t- table memes, I feel like it is is going to warrant a fair bit of time here. So I think I think diving into hard knocks while it's okay. still very fresh on our minds here, it would be the way to go. Okay, so of course, Hard Docs, focusing on the Oakland Raiders this season. Uh, you and I both watched the premiere episode last night. Um, I, I feel like the prevailing takes that that I saw over and over, and I regret doing this because I I was I watched it on a delay. You know, I, I probably watched it maybe an hour after it aired originally, 
And just scrolling Twitter and following the people that we follow in the sports media world, you saw a lot of hard knocks takes. So I feel like I was predisposed to think that Derek Carr would be awkward and that Jonathan Abram would say a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then it happened and I was like, yeah, this I don't, I don't think my, my perception has been colored at all. Um, those are the biggest takeaways for me. I, Jonathan Abram I thought was cool for the most part. He's like 90% cool. And then there was the Salmon Salmon thing, Th- that which was me. one of the cringier things that I've watched on television, documentary or otherwise in quite some time uh but Derek Carr yeah a couple a couple moments of his own as well trying to force his kids to like fight each other in the kitchen while playing basketball was pretty cool yeah, it's I'm sure you know it was gladiatorial in the Carr household growing up um, <laughs> it was just a little too far like you know I, I like think you this little kid's like three like picking his belly button it's like no you need to knock your brother out <laughs> fight him right now, now. <laughs> fight him <laughs> um but oh I mean overall I'm encouraged I thought it was odd you know last year with the Browns like immediately you were introduced to a number of Devin Kajus types, um, you know, Carl Lawson types, guys who were kind of on the fringe of the roster. You didn't know if they were going to make it. And they took that all the way through. And I assume we'll get to that point eventually. But it was like 80% Gruden, Antonio Brown, Derek Carr. And, you know, we had that that little kind of featurette on the the guy from Last Chance U, a show I've not watched. I don't know if you were familiar with yeah, that guy. Uh, Ronald Ollie yes. is, is his name. Yeah, I I only got through like a couple episodes of Last Chance U, Last Chance U, because it's just kind of a little bit depressing, almost. So like I got, I was rooting for that guy, but it seemed like you know he was doomed from the start. Uh, there, Gruden seemed to really not uh, <laughs> like that guy very much, and you know the uh, the scene where they signed Ethan Westbrooks right afterward to replace him on on the line, and they're like Westbrooks, that that number's hideous. Yeah, sixty three. We got to get you a new number, man. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's cursed by the by this guy that we just cut. Yeah, and, like without cashing an NFL paycheck but um other yeah the the Abram the Abram Cleveland Farrell scene was pretty good when they're when they're riding the horses around um I was surprised I was actually pretty impressed with Cleveland Farrell I don't know if if you've ridden many horses in your day but uh it's a little bit a little bit scary if when it first starts to run and he there's like his first time on a horse also I did not know that you could fit a man that large on a horse to begin with uh, there's a Nathan for you episode. I was just about going to this. say that reminds. I thought it was they weird that he didn't have a balloon tied. They to him. should have had Antonio Brown's balloon synergy. Yes. Oh man, that would have been perfect. Completely agree. I hate horses. I I know there are probably a lot of horse people, horse girls there's, that probably listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in being around a horse ever. Horse girl summer. One of my friends in high school. I'm from a, a small town in the Green Bay area. A lot, a lot of farms. Uh, he was reshoeing a horse, got kicked in the face, and oh. missed the final like two semesters of senior year, or oh. final two quarters, whatever you call it. He basically wasn't at school for like four straight months because he had his face had to get healed from being kicked in the oh. face by a horse. Okay. So yeah, that was kind of it. I was already out on horses. Um, I'd only ridden one once. It was at a small local amusement park in which they just are like attached to a cart thing, and they basically just walk in a circle at like 0.5 miles an hour. Okay. Didn't like that. Um, so no, I, I saw some people that thought they were kind of sensationalizing it or like Farrell was asked to like play it up or kind of freak out a little bit for the sake of the bit, but horses are not something to mess around with whatsoever. They are, they are powerful animals, man. Yeah. So that there is the fear on uh Farrell's face was, it was legitimate and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kudos to him for, for making it through. And, you know, Abram was obviously the more experienced rider, mm-hmm. but he was keeping right up there with him, uh, towards the end there. So impressed by that. Uh, I'm encouraged by Farrell. Um, 
other guy, there's just so many characters on this Raiders team, you know, like w- with Gruden. I mean, w- we got a bit of Richie Incognito, Guy Fieri interplay, you know, that you love to see that. I think, I think Richie Incognito called Guy Fieri his guy. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's my guy. And then ran right over <laughs> oh, to him. Yeah, he, he spotted him right away. I mean, the, the uh, pristine uh, bleached hair. Um, I thought it was weird, you know, because there's been so much made of like this Raiders and this draft class. Um, yeah. I would have figured that there's some sort of Josh Jacobs mentioned, but he was completely invisible. And I yeah. also figured that Hunter Renfro uh, would be a big part of this, but he's Hunter Renfro. He's a guy that the media tends to gravitate towards anyway. So like we're going to get oversaturated with Renfro. It's just a matter of time. I think all, the only thing that happened with Renfro last night was that John Gruden called him ugly to his fiance, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, wife, I believe. Wife? I, think, I think they got oh, married no, like right. the week yeah, he before was the draft. One of those married in college guys. Yeah, that post college. Uh, okay. Just right. uh, like yeah, like mid April, I believe mm-hmm. that they, they tied the knot. The Antonio Brown Richie Incognito friendship. Two uh, two very unique personalities. Yeah. I think we we can we can certainly say that two guys who you know uh, checkered histories in their respective locker yep. rooms, but. We're starting anew here in Oakland. We're starting anew in Napa Valley. So we're mm-hmm. going to see this relationship blossom and grow uh, like a fa- like a fine uh, champagne grape. I like how you brought that around. Thank okay, you. so I think overall, kind of a boring Hard Docs intro. I will clearly be sticking with it. I think it'll get better. Um, but we also have better things to discuss. The ESPN College Football account, which has nearly 3 million followers. So if you're listening to this podcast, good chance you're probably following that and have seen this. Uh, tweeted out one of the table memes. Are we just calling them table memes? People know what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't okay. think that there's really a, a, any other way to say it. it right. I mean, I mean, intro to it, it is would what be it like is. Monday. Uh, I guess Yahoo Sports tweeted out one that was uh, very similar, but it had more just kind of like generic celebrities. Um, you know, which table would you sit at? Um, and it, it involved some college football personalities, but not not exclusively. There's entertainment people in there too. But yeah, this one uh, is. This one really drew my eye because this is one that I really have strong opinions on pretty much all nine tables. Yeah. Well, first of all, where are you at on these these memes overall? I, it's bizarre that we're even discussing a meme on, on a podcast, but that's what it's come to. And I've seen a lot of people, especially in the last like two days, being like, is this the worst meme ever? Why are we doing this? I, I don't. I think this is a good one, to be honest. In the grand scheme of memes, I think we've sunk much, much lower than this. Oh, we, this we, is abso- a fun one. we absolutely have. I've so. seen some poorly made ones, but mm-hmm. I think the concept overall is really good. I, I like the concept a lot. I, I think that, you know, the fact that you can run into a table where there's two really strong candidates and then it's just drugged down by, by a third guy. I think it, it adds a layer of complexity to, to this meme overall. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that this meme is terrible. I think this is the best iteration of it, or, or at least the one that I like had the most interest in right, right. away. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, if, if you're trying to mix like athletes and pop culture, you're just going to end up inevitably leaving out so many relevant people that it's like it's impossible to just like group together 30 people that is going to please everyone so i think you're kind of starting to see this branch off into more niche ones like this um we're not going to read them all out i mean i don't want to do like a we're reading a meme meme. a verbal (laughs) meme uh over podcast but i would say if you're listening to this there's a good chance you have your phone within arm's reach or a computer Mm -hmm. just bring it up it's on the espn college football pod or uh, college football twitter account um so we'll we'll go through and kind of I, I want you to give me like the two tables that you would most like to sit at, the ones you'd want to avoid, 
Uh, and then we can get into maybe guys who should be in this who were not included. Yes. Okay. So leading off, it, there are two candidates that just you jump off the page to me. And, and the first one, anytime Coach O is involved, like yeah. it, it immediately leaps to the top of the power rankings. I mean, the guy's just electric. It could be Coach O, a sack of potatoes and a sack of flour, and that would still be in my top two. Be like, ooh, hmm. I, I wonder what he would say to the flour, you right. know? So, and he would say something. He would. And he actually, you know, if you go back to the really early days in his coaching career, because the other other people uh, he's sitting with is Johnny Manziel and the Miami Duck. He used to coach down in Miami. Um, so he, him and The Rock actually had a relationship back when, when uh, The Rock was playing at the U. So I think he was his I D-line w- coach. I would be surprised if him and The Rock didn't have a relationship. See, exactly. So, I mean, it was bound to happen. It was like written in the stars. But the fact that it happened at the U makes it all the better. But I think the, the just general synergy between uh, O and this duck mascot would, would be mm-hmm. wonderful. And then I would just love – I mean, Johnny Manziel, the luster – is lost compared to like when we were like juniors in college and he was just the absolute king. But you know, if we could like somehow recapture in time peak Johnny, this table is, is the clear number one, but the the number two, the strongest competitor to that would be Mike Leach. I'm, I'm a total sucker for any and all Mike Leach content. I think the guy's fascinating. I think that he's a breath of fresh air and in what is otherwise just like most coaches avoid saying anything to get any any sort of headline. Mm -hmm. He leans into it 100% of the time. He's 100% himself. Um, I love the, that he teaches like a warfare class at, at Washington State. Um, and then uh, he would be sitting there with, with Baker Mayfield and the Gator, the Florida Gator. Uh, the Florida Gator is really the only reason why this would be uh, number two for me because ba- Baker is endlessly entertaining to me as well. So him and Leach would be an awesome uh, pairing. But, I, you know, just... In, in my blood, I can't really get behind and, and put a gator uh, number mm-hmm. one. Sorry. Well, see, the mascot editions are tricky here. I uh, w- One of my close friends' younger brother uh, is a mascot at the college level, uh, at the major college level. I know. And I've, I've spoken extensively with him. Um, you know, I have so many questions that I've, I've built up over time about this, uh, you know, about just being a mascot. And one of the things that, that struck me, and it's not all that surprising, I guess, is that whenever you're in costume, no matter where you are, whether you're walking down the street to an event, whether you're at a wedding or, you know, a kid's birthday party, uh, obviously a football game, um, you are not allowed to speak or make any noise whatsoever. And he said, like, they take that very seriously. If people find out that you talk to someone that you even so much as, you know, kind of took the head off and had a conversation on the side, like that is not allowed whatsoever at all. So (laughs) do those rules extend to this lunchroom that looks like it's from like SpongeBob? Right, it did. But do they have a cafeteria scene in SpongeBob? I, I feel like they just like know. stock photoed this one. I, it, it does look very yeah. similar to SpongeBob animation, but but not quite there. But uh, gosh, that is that is a really good point to be making. Right. But with, I mean, I think with that, I'd be I would be less inclined to to be worried about the Florida mascot, but I'd still wouldn't like his his overarching right. presence with the with the snout. I think that you know that the uh, the no talking. Uh, applying to like I don't know I like the Alabama elephant I think that's a perfectly like funny mm-hmm. and goofy mascot I, yeah. you know that that might bump up uh, the table two with Kyler Murray yeah. and Chip Kelly but otherwise I don't I wouldn't like that table the Alabama mascot is an objectively bad costume yes. the nose just looks so ratty <laughs> or the snout what do you what do you call it trunk trunk, trunk. there we go just looks they could make it so much better and i love that they choose not to um but again i mean the overarching point for table four which is coach o and, and table six which is headed by mike leach it doesn't matter who else is sitting there you know like it could be two 
you know, and it doesn't matter. Like Baker Mayfield is also at the table with Mike Leach. I don't, I'm not really interested in talking to Baker Mayfield whatsoever. I have nothing to say to him, but I have so many questions for Mike Leach. Yes. Yeah. So that, that, that's sort of, you know, the high tide rate raises all ships type of thing right. apply, certainly applies to, to Mike Leach. So, you know, maybe if, if you're not a Gator fan or not a Baker fan, you still got to at least consider that, that Mike Leach table in your top three just because, yes. it, I mean, Leach is awesome. So we're in agreement there. I, I think table one, which features the Oregon Duck, um, who, I, who I love, you know, has had some great moments over the years, running out of that tunnel. Um, I think, was that in the college football playoff? Did, I think he also, uh, didn't he really ride a motorcycle at one point? Oh, of course, yeah. So, Most mascots yeah, have. He, he's a boss. So he's there. Um, James Winston is there is somebody I would like to speak with uh, for a number of reasons. And then Lincoln Riley, not really interested in talking All to paper. him, but I think the pairing of Jameis and the duck, I think Jameis, even if the duck wouldn't talk, Jameis would continue to talk to the duck in an effort to make it talk. Um, and I think that would provide for some, you know, interesting commentary to say the least. And there, I mean, Jameis's maybe most iconic moment came against the ducks when, right. he, when he somehow threw the ball backwards, like yes. a million yards. I kind of have a, I just tried to reenact it for you. I, I know exactly. I think most college football you, fans kind of the picture, motion. right. That, that still of Winston, like just as he's about to release the ball where his body is at like <laughs> 175 degree angle to the ground. Um, yeah, I mean, if he didn't have the NFL career that he's had so far, I feel like that would be an underrated statue to throw out on the FSU campus. Oh my god, that'd be incredible! So, who should be included in this, or like what? You know, maybe beyond this, you know, beyond this college football one. Like, if you were making one of these or submitting your response to one of these, what like what should be the next one? Um, I think icon- iconic ex players that are no longer. Uh, in the NFL, I know, I know that Tebow is is out of the NFL, but sure. le- well, more more like the legendary type guys, like a, like a Ricky Williams, like that'd be an amazing guy to like add on to it, add, add onto a table, yeah. another wrinkle uh, to have. So maybe like former Heisman candidate or Heisman Trophy winners, I think would be a good addition for, yep. for these kind of things. And you know, we do have the power and the technology at our fingertips to potentially make one of these. We might we I, need to whip one up. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know how people it, are doing these. The clock is ticking. Like this meme. <laughs> could be just completely horrible by like tomorrow i think by the time we walk out of here in 45 minutes there's a very good chance that it's just done and the last thing you want to do is bring it back a week after um i think you know a college basketball version of this would be great although it'd be very tough to do with like current characters just because we haven't had you know that many like like i don't know who's like the Jameis winston of recent college basketball you know like like grayson allen maybe like there just haven't been that many guys who have been relevant and have been in school for multiple years to kind of keep gaining that relevancy I think it would just be a lunchroom full of like one and dones yeah, and yeah. guys who you kind of remember more for what they've done in the NBA than at the college level. Me personally, I would love to see one of these, but for only guys who played college basketball or college football from like 2001 through 2008, the golden you know? age. So like, yeah, right. So when you're, you know, like you're choosing between the AC law table and the Salim Stoudemire table for college Vance basketball, Fields. right? Yeah. The LeVance Fields table, the, the Ron Dane table. I, I think we could extend it, you know, make an exception for him. I think he finished up in, in 99 or 2000, um, disgraced NFL players, I think would be great. You know, you, you could scrap together 10 or 15 of those guys to head up each table. Yeah. There's, um, there are plenty. There's a, there's a lot yes. to choose from there. <laughs> <laughs> Random two thousands running backs. I think would another yeah, be a really mean, tough one. Uh, yeah. Or Orlando's Gary, Shout out Ontario Smith, Michael Bennett. Like Deuce Staley and Deuce McAllister are sitting at a table. Are you going to go sit somewhere else? I don't think I am. <laughs> no, no. Uh, du- the double Deuce. Like I'm, I'm there, man. <laughs> Two different spellings of Deuce as well. Mm-hmm. Um, SNL actors, I think, would be fun if, if you're into that, which I am. I know you, you and are. Like, a, and like categorize them into like eras, like the early yes. '90s SNL guys, like the the late. Uh, 
later part of last decade, like with uh, Andy mm. Samberg, Bill Hader, like those type of guys. See, I will say, I think these are better. And I, again, I cannot believe we've gone, we're probably going on like 10 minutes discussing this, but I think it's better when you mix everything together. You know, like you don't want, I think you, you don't want to choose between errors. Like I'd want somebody, if you're talking SNL, one guy from the 70s, one guy from the 80s, and maybe one current cast that's member. A, I think it, it forces you to, to kind of choose more more particularly rather than just choosing the decade or the era that you like the best, if that, that makes sense. Yes, no, that absolutely does. So that that is the correct way of going about it. I, I also applied that to like the the Happy Madison cinematic universe. <laughs> Very, you know, almost as prestigious as the Marvel cinematic, but you know, like you, you got like a you know, Chris Farley's bus driver character from from uh, <laughs> Billy Madison sitting with uh with the mom from from Waterboy and, right. and coach klein sitting somewhere else it's like oh how do i choose yeah the caddy from happy gilmore yeah it's uh i like that one a lot actually okay that one Um, that one could be good yeah yeah i guess uh i personally will not be putting in the time to make one of these but if you know if you have some free time this afternoon i think that would be the time if you want to tweet them at the rotowire twitter account um we don't run that so i can't promise anything will happen but we will at least take a look at them and we will discuss them uh so if anyone has you know an hour or two on their hands however, however long it takes to make something like this uh, feel free to send them our way. Do you want to talk some college football? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So you have in here a, a news item of the week. And this time of year, still, you know, a lot of preseason type of news, not a lot of week, week-to-week stuff that we'll get into, you know, once the actual season's underway in a few weeks. But uh, you have a tweet here from Brody Miller, an LSU beat reporter for The Athletic. Um, he says, quote, Braden Fahoko just told us that defensive lineman Jarrell Cherry literally walks around campus with bricks in his backpack, hashtag LSU. See that it could mean so much. Like it, it, it makes me wonder. You know, if Fahoko is kind of an elder statesman of this defensive line, he's immensely strong guy. A a, a guy that transferred earlier in his career uh, got his start uh, back at LSU last year. Um, so he's kind of like the heart and soul of that defensive line, which is always good at LSU. And it kind of makes me wonder if if Coach O or Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, you know, made a sort of just off the cuff remark like, oh, that guy carries bricks around in his backpack, like saying that about Fahoko or something like to like kind of drum up his toughness. And then Jarrell Cherry is just like, I'm going to do that now. Like, I want to be like Fahoko. I want to carry bricks around and I'm going to. I I believe it. I mean, I, I this doesn't seem like something that would be all that crazy to pull off. Uh, but, you know, I have the, the tweet pulled up here. There's one response. It's from a user named O's Coleslaw, and it's spelled with the, the French spelling O-E-A-U-X. Uh, username at underscore doctor underscore toboggan. Shout out Frank Reynolds. Yes. Uh, he says, is that even healthy slash beneficial? A pretty good point. Yeah, we're waiting for your response. Is there any, right. Is there anything to suggest that just putting dead weight hanging off of your back like strengthens you at all i know that like weighted vests are a thing but i think just doing it straight off of your back when it's dangling right. like like that probably not the like i'd imagine that this young man uh Jarell cherry is strong enough to support many bricks and not have his lumbar spine affected at all but well probably just in general not a great idea and i think uh, part a of the idea nonetheless so great comparison to a weighted vest i think that's probably the closest thing that we've seen you know other than literally carrying bricks in your backpack the weighted vest has weights on the front and the back to kind of counterbalance, right? Exactly. Like this, I just feel like you'd, you'd have this sensation that you're always being pulled from behind, which so, is probably hard on the back. It, you know, maybe that, that forces you to, you know, have your uh, your rectus abdominis flexed and, and, you know, maybe work your intercostals a little bit more to, to keep that weight mm-hmm. balance, keep your core over center. 
I think you should try this for a day. Okay. And we do have Roto-R backpacks. We so. just need bricks. Okay. No Roto bricks. It was just moving day near my near my apartment, so like there's just bricks around. I, th- I think I can I can manage this. Yeah, I know a couple masons. We can figure something out. <laughs> um, let's talk SEC quarterbacks. Um, we as we went through last week, you know, again we combined the Big Ten and the Big Twelve, um, and you know you kind of gave your your top five at each position. We'll do the same for the SEC, uh, and beginning with the quarterback spot, not Tua. That is at number is one. Correct. Um, so while he may be the Heisman favorite alongside Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's actually Kellen Mond of Texas A&M who sits atop your quarterback rankings. That, that's right. And, you, you know, again, you, we're looking at this from a fantasy lens. Like, I definitely agree with with the idea that Tua um, is the Heisman favorite. I think that Alabama, seeing the way that last year ended, where, you know, he got dinged for not playing enough in the fourth quarter and, and, and all that stuff, um, kind of sunk his, his Heisman candidacy in, in just sort of a quiet end to his season. Um, I think that Alabama is going to prop him up and, and try to make him put up even more video game-ish numbers this coming year. But where Mond has him definitively beat in the fantasy world is that he's going to be a huge factor on the ground. He's a, mm. he's a guy that's super athletic. He was recruited as a, as a dual threat guy out of IMG Academy a couple of years ago. Kind of got his feet wet in 2017, then really uh, sunk his teeth into Jimbo's system last year. And I think he got better as the season went on. The, the legendary game against LSU uh, in the, during rivalry week to to end the season uh, is sort of an eye popping thing that you know makes you wonder you know or gives you a glimpse of what this year could look like for him. So. Uh, dynamic as a rusher I could see him you know pushing for double digit touchdowns obviously Travion Williams one of the best running backs in A&M history he's gone leaves a lot of carries up uh, for grabs Jay Sean Corbin is going to be their new workhorse guy but Mond is so dynamic uh, he's going to be a guy that that pushes for you know all that rushing production and I think he's going to keep getting better as a passer and A&M's got you know this stable of like six three six four receivers that are just you know mm-hmm. giants that are going to be just catching jump ball touchdowns all over the place so the lsu game last year felt like kind of the official arrival for mond as an elite elite player seven total touchdowns you know 49 pass attempts in addition to 20 carries do you expect them you know it seems like a lot of a lot of players you know once they kind of reach that that elite or borderline elite level you see teams go into more protection mode you know maybe this is more of an nfl thing you know i'm thinking someone like cam newton you know like he's really never been as effective as a rusher in the nfl you know as he was in college just because of the nature of the game like is there any chance that mon's value as a passer um you know wanting to protect him not wanting to run him into the ground you know 20 carries in a game like that results in fewer rushes i know projections wise we have him at you know more than three times as many carries on the season uh, as a guy like Tua right so I mean Tua's game just he he like scrambles to get away and, right. and extend plays like Mond he will never be a pure pocket passer at least at the at the collegiate level and I don't think Fisher's uh, system necessarily calls for it and, and so I do think that Mond it, they they'll be smart to you know not have him running it all over the place but sometimes that's going to be simply their best option and A&M's schedule is such just murderer's row it is easily the toughest schedule in college football in my opinion so sometimes that those type of those type of deals like there there really is no other choice like if that's the best thing that that you can do on a given play then then you know having mond stress a defense uh horizontally and vertically is going to be the way to do it so um I do understand that the protecting him part of this, but you know, entering his true true junior year, I think he's ready to kind of like take off, and mm-hmm. they're going to need him to be effective both as a rusher and a passer if they're going to survive this schedule. 
So you mentioned that schedule. Clemson, uh, obviously being the big non-conference one. On the road, uh, a couple, A couple of cupcakes surrounding that in Texas State and Lamar, but I think Clemson offsets that. They get Auburn. Uh, they get Mississippi State. They get South Carolina. They get Georgia and LSU back-to-back to end the year. But, both on uh, the road. Right, both on the road. Uh, they do get Alabama at home on October 12th. Of course, to attack by Loa back under center. You have him projected for three more passing touchdowns than anyone else in the country. Three more than Derek King uh, out of Houston. Just eight interceptions. Um, but again, you know, not quite the rusher of someone like Kellen Mond. Not a guy that that Alabama necessarily uses on designed rushes. Right. So I mean, I think we we know what we're going to get out of Tua. We're just going to see more volume th- this year. And I think that the receivers that that Alabama has. I mean, it's really a, a take your pick whether you like uh, what they have with with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell versus the the Clemson guys. I mean, it, you can't go wrong, but I mean, these these Alabama guys, this is for three of those guys, except for Waddle, this is their probably their their last chance to really impress scouts and, and get get into that first round consideration. I think that they all could be first round uh, type of guys. Maybe, Smith, maybe not as much, but Ruggs and and uh, and Jerry Judy, absolutely. So, I mean, there's just whether even if two has an off game, these guys can just bring in the bring in the uh, ball and just go for a touchdown. I mean, these guys are just absurd. So it's just. It, it just the situation, this the possibility or the odds of him failing to throw for you know thirty five touchdowns like it just doesn't really exist to me. If he stays healthy, right? I mean, it's almost last season is kind of the baseline, right? I mean, maybe he doesn't quite reach you know some of those extreme heights, and I think part of it, like you said, is I mean, not only is he extremely accurate, but when you get in the ball or you get the ball in the hands of two or three of those guys, those receivers that you mentioned you know you're gaining you know a 10 percent better chance of like them taking it all the way for a touchdown versus the average college receiver maybe even more when you when you're talking about percentage um and to have all those guys back you know you return all that continuity i mean alabama should be as good if not better on offense than last year um it's tantalizing to think of, of the upside but once again i mean do we you kind of mentioned at the top that to a sitting so many fourth quarters at the end of the day may have lost him the Heisman. I, I think Alabama's on the bottom of the list of schools that you think of when you when you think you know they're going to do everything they can to get this guy the Heisman. You know it doesn't really mean anything for them in terms of school prestige. They're already at the at the very top. You know I'm, I'm thinking you know Lamar Jackson like that meant a lot oh, for, for Louisville to absolutely. get a Heisman winner. Even in you know even though they they had, weren't really a national contender, um, you know having that on your resume is huge. Alabama, I think, prioritizes one thing, and that's winning national titles. Are we going to see Tua sit most fourth quarters again? I mean, I, I can't imagine if, if this year goes anything like last and they're up 35 going into every fourth quarter against these inferior teams, they're going to keep playing him just to play him. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, and it's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense what they did last year when right. they just simply just wouldn't have him out there. But I feel like the, there is going to be a, a sense of – I mean, Alabama hasn't had a quarterback like this – basically right. since like willie joe namath well it's, it's crazy that they've had this run and like you know no you know, obviously managers. they don't have they don't have any great nfl quarterbacks they don't even have like any nfl quarterbacks period right i mean aj mccarron broke his thumb the other yeah day. right I, he was the one guy i was gonna name like they have like a pretty good backup and that's it yeah so so i think the way that last season ended um for many reasons and also the way that he was just prohibitively the Heisman for so long and to have that I think that stung a little bit I think that that uh, added on to them losing the national title uh, getting blown out in the national title I'm sorry Um, 
I think that kind of adds a little bit of sting, a little bit of extra fire um, to the to this uh, team, to this uh, you know to the push potentially for for Tua for Heisman here. So I think that Alabama would kind of uh, try try to like make make him uh, put up these ridiculous numbers. But again, you re- you bring up the point where if they are up thirty five, how much further are they going to step on teams next? So it'll be interesting to see to like test out my theory here because I, I could see him playing into fourth quarters a little bit. We'll see. I do hope we get a little bit of like a Maguire Sosa situation with him and Trevor Lawrence. That, where, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, there Lawrence, we go. Lawrence throws for five touchdowns on a Friday night. Two has to go match it on a Saturday. I think that'd be a lot of fun and honestly fairly realistic in the grand scheme of things. It is. Uh, Kelly Bryant, last time we saw him, uh, of course, under center for Clemson. He ends up transferring uh, after playing in parts of four games last year. One of the best quarterbacks you know, in the country two years ago, um, you know, 11 touchdowns on the ground, almost 700 yards in 2017. Um, but you know, it always kind of felt like things were, were inevitably moving away from him last year. Uh, what are the expectations now as he shifts to Missouri? Um, I, th- I think there's reasons to be bullish on him. He's, he's a very different quarterback than what we've seen the last four years in Drew Locke, where he, he trusts his arm and would be kind of a risk taker, a bit of a gunslinger. Bryant, um, I think maybe to there was no way that he was going to hold off Trevor Lawrence off last year, but I think he plays within like a very like ball, ball safety conscious type of like construct and, and mind frame. But I think he's also a dynamic runner. I think he has, you know, good speed around him. John, uh, Jonathan Johnson is, is an intriguing deep threat receiver type. Albert O, um, one of the best returning tight ends in, in all of college football. And he'll also be bolstered by a really, really strong ground game around him with, uh, featuring uh, Larry Roundtree, who we'll get into in a little bit there. And also the schedule sets up extremely well for Missouri this year. I think a lot of people are projecting a fairly strong chance where missouri could be going into november eight and zero. um so oh. the things just like set the the table is set for bryant and this missouri team to you know push uh for that eight nine maybe even ten uh win total which kind of stinks for them because they, they won't be bowl eligible mm-hmm. um but i i think that bryant just like the the keys to this offense uh i was a little bit skeptical about what this what Derek dooley would do with this offense uh, last year when Josh Heupel left for Central Florida, but I'm pretty encouraged by it. I think that this is a quarterback-friendly system. Bryant uh, going to be able to pick up more rushing yards than uh, than Drew Locke did, and I think he'll be a, a totally fine fantasy asset. I, I think that he will be you know bolstered by the by the team context as well. Another dual threat guy comes in at number four, Tommy Stevens, Penn State transfer, only 41 pass attempts as a college quarterback uh not like a crazy high-ranked recruit coming out uh, i think he was what high three-star as a, as a dual threat mm-hmm. um but but you know a lot to like as uh, another guy who can who can kind of be a hammer and, and really run the ball yes so he he's athletic in, in that sense um he will have to beat out keaton thompson who um i think before the the transfer was made official for stevens to go to miss state i thought that that Thompson was going to be an awesome fantasy asset this year, but Thompson is extremely scattershot as a passer, at least to, to what we've seen uh, through this point. Stevens, I think was um, a guy that Joe Moorhead recruited while he was at Penn state. So there's a connection there. And, and Stevens was within Moorhead system up until uh, last year. So he's familiar with it. He knows what they want to do. He's a more accurate passer. And he, and like you said, he can actually run a little bit. Uh, Penn state would try to find ways to get him on the field without displacing trace McSorley at, last year. Those kind of felt like wasted plays, but mostly 
it goes to show you that they felt comfortable with hit with him just being an athlete out in space. So I think that this is, this is a situation where uh, he's going to be a good source of rushing touchdowns. Um, in addition to being maybe the best passer we've seen out of Miss state since Dak Prescott. So, I mean, as someone who didn't watch a ton of Penn state last year, I mean, was he basically a design run every time he came in? He had 35 more rushing attempts at Penn State than he had passing attempts. Right. So, yeah, the, his position was called like the lion, I think, on their depth mm. chart, something, something really yeah. cool like that. Um, but, yeah, they, they do a lot of uh, design runs uh, with him as, yeah, out there. I've also read that he's a big Crocs guy, so just something to keep an eye on. I don't okay. know if you factor right. that so, into your projections all right, at all. I just tanked him down. <laughs> uh, okay, rounding out the, the top five at quarterback, Felipe Franks. Uh, he'll, I think he'll be making an appearance on the all-name team whenever we release that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the works. Yeah, big, big spring game back in April. Uh, really came on as a rusher last mm-hmm. season for Florida. Cut down on the turnovers. Um, you know, I, I think Dan Mullen working with him really really helped uh do you expect another big jump now uh, in year two it'll be interesting to see because i think like his overall production last year was one that was one of the more surprising you know numbers that that i came across uh when i when i was finishing up like projections or or looking over uh last year to kind of get a baseline i mean for him to go for 31 total touchdowns last year was was really really surprising he just looked so much more comfortable uh, than he did uh, the season prior when when he was out there, kind of like thrown to the wolves a little yeah, bit. And two just, fewer picks on basically 100 more attempts. Yes. So, yeah, going from nine touchdowns and eight picks on 125 attempts to 24 touchdowns and six picks on 188, that is that is really, really impressive stuff there. Um, the receivers, they're, they're pretty much all back, and they're all, you know, what you'd expect from a Florida receiver. Uh, I think that he works well with Dan Mullen's offense. I think this being year two uh, suggests that there could be even another uh, step forward for him. So I do like Frank's a fair bit. And um, I think that he might just, just by virtue of volume uh, end up being like, like we were projecting right now, a top five fantasy quarterback for the sec. 17 days away from Miami at Florida. On, on August 24th that was coming up very excited let's move to the running backs um I don't even want to set this up I'm just going to let you talk about DeAndre Swift because I'm, I'm sure you could go for upwards of 20 minutes on this um Swift is a guy who's you know talent is is unbelievable he's he's right up there with the recent Georgia greats you're, you're Nick Chubbs you're maybe not quite as freakish as Nick Chubb but um his his game is so complete for for um for a running back in terms of his pass catching and his his rushing ability. I mean, for him to get as many carries and, and snaps and receptions as he did as a true freshman while Nick Chubb and, and Sony Michelle were still on the team, that goes to show you like how how talented he is and, and how quickly he ingratiated himself with this team. Last year he he had or he was working his way back from double sports hernia surgery that he that he got after his freshman oh season. So he wasn't right until after the after the bye week, I don't think so until after Florida. But if you look at the splits uh, from before Florida and and after, it's I mean it's almost night and day. Um, I remember tweeting out just from how he ran against Kentucky when he absolutely slashed them. Uh, Georgia played Auburn the next week, and I said that Swift is going to have the best game of his career. Mm-hmm. Goes ahead and uh, makes me look smart. So that was that was cool. Um, but I think this year, I think Georgia just. Georgia is deep at, at running back. Uh, uh, James Cook, I think, could take a step forward in year two. They have this guy, Zamir White, who was the number one recruit at running back this past year, 2018, but he's coming back from his second ACL tear in as many years, so we don't really know what we're going to get out of him. So I think 
Georgia is going to be very comfortable with Swift, you know, being the being a true workhorse um, and just mixing and matching behind him as they see fit. But he's going to be a monster in the passing game, especially with the you know, the lack of experience that that Georgia has at receiver. And also, I mean, he's running behind the best offensive line in the country. I'm not even being biased about that. It's just all experienced four- and five-star guys. I mean, the left tackle um, getting projected to be, like, the number one pick in, in some mocks. Um, so, yeah, this is, a, this is a great offensive line, great setup for Swift to really take off this year. That's very convincing. Thank you. I, uh, I will debate you on the offensive line thing when it comes to Wisconsin. Um, but no, I, I think for, at the for end of the once, day, I, think I actually have a right. case on yeah, this. I think, I think you actually do. Wisconsin's line was disappointing last year. I couldn't believe it. Uh, Larry Roundtree, junior, Missouri, over 1,200 yards last season. Quiet um, 1,200. I, I, yeah, but best case scenario this year, I mean, approaching 1,500 on the ground. Uh, but not much of a guy who's gonna who's gonna give you anything in the receiving game. That's true. So so his PPR value takes it takes a slight hit. But I, I mean, I have him near the top just in in general for for rushing yards among all running backs this mm-hmm. year. And uh, I just don't really find that there's much in the way of competition for him for carries. Um, right. And I think Kelly Bryant being back there. Uh, stresses the defense in a way you know if they if they run the read option game to perfection which mm-hmm. brian i think has shown that he can i think roundtree yeah he could push for you know he he'll be over like 100 yards a game when it when the season's all said and done and he could be pushing right. for a touchdown a game uh type of average i don't think we've seen you know it uh Sorry, I'm a little distracted we're watching uh the ocho right now we are and a trolley is currently Doing rolling some, a giant ball it looks like they're doing some sort of street bowling yes are there people inside there, those pins? i don't that know it doesn't seem safe there might be but um, this is germany and belgium we're talking <laughs> about no <laughs> um but to finish up on roundtree you you said you know you have him among your leaders uh, when it comes to overall rushing yards he's fourth in our projections um in total rushing yards jonathan taylor uh at just over 2000 and then etn you know benjamin at arizona state uh, and then larry roundtree so despite you know i mean he's, he's basically projected for like a catch a game and really no yardage i'm um, gonna give you enough on the ground to, to still be a top five guy overall at the position yeah Keyshawn vaughn probably i mean maybe an honorable mention all name team uh, just just given the rhyming uh but vanderbilt gets it makes an appearance on this list even ahead of alabama or auburn that's right and uh, I, I think if you paid close enough attention or somehow we're, we're at like a bar where where you were stuck on a Vanderbilt game last year uh you know and you tried to avert your eyes but you noticed some guy in a, in a gold helmet sprinting away from the defense you know who Keyshawn Vaughn is and in, in the that bowl game uh, I think it was it wasn't the Alamo Bowl but it was it was like one of the one of those early bowl season games between Vanderbilt and Baylor and that's when his real coming out party was it was unbelievable the kind of burst that he showed like his bowl game performance was so good and this running back class for the NFL was so bad I really thought that there was a chance that Vaughn was going to bolt <laughs> just... after that game and I, I wouldn't have blamed him I think that yeah. he he looked like Darrell Henderson like he just was ripping off these huge runs left and right um, Vanderbilt going to be you know undergoing a bit of a change that they're losing a four-year starter at quarterback um, so teams can kind of key on the run a little bit more and that they all know who Keyshawn Vaughn is now but they have some weapons in the passing game to kind of keep defenses honest and I just think Vanderbilt knows that that he's the Vaughn is the single best part of this offense obviously playing against SEC opponents it makes it tough for Vandy for Vandy guys to really pop but I think Vaughn is kind of the exception to that rule so that was the Texas Bowl uh, against Baylor I don't know how you could possibly forget one of the most memorable bowls I knew it. Uh, but that was by far 
his best fantasy performance of the entire season. I mean, he had a big game against Mizzou, up over 180 yards, uh, but 243 yards, two touchdowns on 13 carries yeah. in the Texas Bowl. So, Baylor, uh, you might need to patch that up a little bit. Yeah, and he's a guy, too. I mean, three times last year, over 32 FanDuel points. Uh, all three of those came in the SEC or two of those, excuse me, came in the SEC, the other one being the Baylor game. Uh, granted, it was Mizzou and Arkansas, but, you know, you know, not just piling up stats against these FCS opponents or, you know, teams like Nevada, Tennessee State. Right. Uh, Kylan Hill, Mississippi State, uh, a player who, who joins Tommy Stevens in that backfield. Uh, tell me about him. Um, he's We've been kind of like waiting for his uh, breakout for a little bit. Aris Williams uh, is a guy that has been at Miss State or had been at Miss State for a while, and he kind of you know was was keeping a lid on on Kylan Hill's volume uh, output and, and his ceiling. But now this is Kylan Hill's backfield again. We're going to have a new starter at quarterback, whether it's uh, Stevens or Keaton Thompson. But I think either way, this Miss State team functions best when when the ground game is working. Kylan Hill certainly proven to this point, uh, m- maybe not on as many carries as you'd like to see enough of a sample but he's pretty awesome I, th- I think that he's somebody that that you know has a future playing on Sundays uh, this is a, again a, a system that, that's tailored for running back production um, so I do like Kylan Hill a fair bit for this year and I, I feel very strongly that he could be or should be a top five running back in the SEC so finishing out the top five at running back, uh, we go to LSU, a team that only had had 1,000-yard rusher last year, Nick Brissett, barely got over 1,000 yards. On um, you just plotting. I mean, right. like four yards a carry. <laughs> 4.3 yards per carry. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, next highest at, at just over 600 yards. Then you go down to Joe Burrow, uh, who is just under 400. Um, so a little bit of a of a regression, I guess, from a team that we're, that we're used to just kind of seeing have a guy, a workhorse, a Leonard Fournette, a Jeremy Hill type. Yep. Uh, John Emery now enters the picture. Yes. So he's a true freshman. I, I retweeted a video of him yesterday uh, ripping off a, an 80-yard touchdown in practice on the all 22 i don't know who got the access to that video but thank you for tweeting that out because it you know it's the emory train is one that i've been driving since early in draft season i think that like the fit is just so perfect he's the best running back recruit that they've had since darius guys i feel very strongly about that was Um, darius guys after leonard fournette Yes. Okay. So God. yeah. So it was 2014 Fournette, 2015. Okay. I thought guys. that was a veiled shot at Fournette. Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fournette at LSU is is impeccable to me. Fournette in the NFL, <laughs> but um, Emery just a stud. I think he can do things in the passing game. We, we don't know for sure. I know that Edwards Hilaire uh, is able to do some of that stuff. I know that LSU wants to be a little bit more multiple um, this year and, and maybe like use the running backs as pass, pass catchers uh, more than they have in recent years, and they want to kind of mimic what the Saints do a little bit with Alvin Kamara and his usage and just the Saints general usage of their running back. So it might not be the the classic LSU uh, just battering ram type of run game, but I think it could be a little bit more spread out, a little bit more multiple. But either way, Emery, I don't really see him losing like significant snaps to a guy who's uh, talent wise is several notches down uh in Clyde Edwards Hilaire so Emery should be that number one running back mm-hmm. and I do feel like he can go ahead and uh break Fournette's freshman ru- rushing record there Emery was the number two running back in the class of 2019 behind only Trey Sanders mm-hmm. at Alabama Bama. speaking of Bama the wide receiver position uh kind of a no-brainer I would assume at, at number one for you yeah, yeah, that that one I didn't have to think too hard about. Jerry Judy is just, 
I mean, nasty. I've not seen this sort of like yards per target, yards per catch, uh, touchdowns per catch type of rates that he was going at last year. And there's reason to believe that there's another level. It's just, it's preposterous. So, I mean, it, for me, it's, it's clear cut. He doesn't even need to like rack up a, a million catches to do exactly what he needs to do. I mean, he can be like a four catch, 100 yards, two touchdowns yeah. every single week type of guy. I mean, my, my question watching this team, I mean, they, I love teams that throw the ball all over the place. And obviously Alabama has, has kind of perfected being able to do both running and passing at an elite level. Um, but this offense last year was as fun to watch as, as any that I can remember. Like honestly. Like, yeah, it really was like, like teams were just like, what is this? What and then doing all these receivers, like to be, you know, especially with a helmet on, like all kind of look the same. None of them, you know, they're all fairly small. I think, you know, you don't have like a giant Julio Jones type of presence or an no. AJ Green type of presence on this team. You know, they're all just so fast, so speedy, uh, so compact that it, it all kind of runs together. And, and it makes you wonder, like if Jerry Judy was on, you know, on a different team or you even just could subtract two of these receivers um, and just funnel those targets toward Jerry Judy, like what would actually be possible? I mean, he was the best receiver in college football bar none last year and still only had 68 catches, which isn't an exorbitant amount. No, it's it's really not. So, I mean, yeah, that's like just over five catches a game over yeah. over twelve games. Uh, and Alabama, I guess, played fifteen, so that's even less. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he did. It, you know, just a little bit of the venom will get you, I guess, when it when it comes to Jerry Judy. And it, yeah, that is like a fun thought exercise. You know, like what if what if Alabama actually needed to funnel him twelve to fifteen targets a game? Like yeah. what what would happen? Because I think that you know eighteen hundred to two thousand receiving yards right. would be possible. So they lose Irv Smith, obviously, to the NFL, but Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, all back alongside Judy. I mean, there's, there's always the chance, I guess, that one of those goes down, and then we, maybe we see that scenario. Wasn't really an issue last year. Um, you know, I mean, is, is there a concern at all that these guys end up all kind of hampering each other's value in the long run? But does it even matter? I mean, you still have Judy number one despite that. Yeah, I, th- I think you just kind of have to have to come in with the realization that that none of these guys are going to reach their actual ceilings right. while they're all working together, but they're all going to have value in their own rights. And I think on draft day, if you can just kind of accept that and maybe, you know, the rest of your room will, will kind of get a little bit too cute and, and go after a guy with projected volume, but maybe not as much skill. And maybe he doesn't even have the type mm. of role that, that the person is confident in. Rugs and you know Rugs is barely going to leave the field. Jerry Judy's barely going to barely going to leave the field. Uh, Waddle, same deal. So yeah, it's frustrating that, that that we won't see the ceiling, but I mean the the floor is just preposterously high, and you know there there aren't going to be many weeks where where they leave you with less than double digit uh, point production. Where do you think Judy goes as of right now? Like if the NFL draft was taking place in a week, I think is he top twenty, top ten. I think he's. Yeah, top fifteen. I think we'll we'll see what bears out with his testing. I've seen some skepticism about about the long speed, especially like compared to Henry Ruggs. But mm-hmm. I, I'd be surprised at this stage if he's not wide receiver one. Obviously, we got a long time ago, and we got some great receivers elsewhere. You know, Colorado at, with Lavisca Chenault and Tylen Wallace at Oak State and uh, T Higgins at Clemson. So there's there's going to be a very very loaded receiver class mm-hmm. this year. But Judy right now leads the pack future jaguar t higgins uh, yes guarantee <laughs> keep an eye up. on that i've been praying for that one let's go uh kalia lipscomb at vanderbilt uh another another vandy skill position player making the list uh after we already talked about Keyshawn vaughn at the running back position um i mean this like you said 
you have an outgoing quarterback, a little bit of a fluid situation there. Lipscomb's just good enough to to be insulated from that. I, th- I think so. I think that you know he doesn't. He's not running the type of routes that you need like a great quarterback to to be able to connect with. Like he he's going to be just killing on the short and inter- intermediate stuff. That's why I have him projected for for ninety receptions. And, you know, compare that to to Jerry Judy. So he's not going to be as much of a touchdown machine, but like for PPR. Or just standard. I, I think that you know he has a really good chance at, at crossing the thousand yard threshold. I think he got close to it or surpassed it uh, last year during the regular season. Uh, experienced guy, someone that can help out uh, the quarterback. And you know, if this quarterback, it, it should be Riley Neal, who's a guy who does have starting experience at the FBS level uh, from the MAC. Um, if he can, you know, get himself ready to roll here and he can actually stay healthy then maybe this passing game doesn't take as big of a step back as i maybe initially Mm. projected but either way lipscomb the clear wide receiver one in this offense uh they they have a good tight end uh too of course but uh lipscomb's a guy and i I think that you know if you're looking for your for just catches and yards uh that's that's a good place to start all right, a guy who will definitively not be on the all-name list, Brian Edwards, <laughs> uh, South Carolina. What a name. Um, a guy who <laughs> tested the NFL waters, probably could have left, decided to come back. Um, gotten better all three years in Columbia. 44 catches as a freshman, 64 as a sophomore, only 55 last year as a junior, but did set a career high in yardage, up over 800 yards, close to 857 touchdowns. Probably his best game of the year came against Georgia in, in week two. Seven catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, so he he was killing it that game. He was he you know put the scare into me a little bit. Um, <laughs> but they don't have Debo Samuel anymore, um, so that they they have some you know talent, some some high four high to mid uh, four star guys that are elsewhere in in that uh, receiving core. But Edwards is the clear alpha. Edwards has been a guy who since day one he, he got on campus he's been good and he's been a producer for this offense so if jake bentley can you know somehow get a little bit better i don't know what el- what else he can do at, at this point if if there is much room for improvement for him in his fourth season but i think that edwards is just a, a really like safe consistent play and you don't worry about the durability so much with him uh, big guy athletic guy a guy that can go up and get it uh, in the red zone. So I see a very, very big year uh, coming from him. And then also uh, Henry Ruggs from Alabama. I wanted to you know toss out yeah. there that he, he's, a, he's a top five guy. He he allegedly runs in the four twos, which is just insane. Can we, I, I've been hearing that for like two years now about him. Can we set up an official timing for these guys who are this fast? Like it's always like these rumored timings. Like let's just, let's just have him do it. I think he could probably do it. I might have, I think that maybe somewhere in the depths of the internet that yeah. like the AL.com has, has like a, you know unofficial alabama combine like yeah. spring combine or something and that that might be where the timing is from but you know you see it on the field and nobody really catches him so no. <laughs> he's noticeably faster than guys like judy smith yeah you know, waddle who are ridiculously fast yeah. in their own right and he like he makes jerry judy look like a you know a slightly above average receiver which is absolutely insane mm-hmm. all right do you want to get some gambling stuff oh uh, yeah just real quick hit, hit a couple before we roll out here okay hold on my monitor just off to smooth over this um all right so we have some of the sec win totals from the superbook uh not surprisingly alabama leads the way 11 and a half is the over under this year but not far behind your georgia bulldogs at 11 uh do you like the over or the under for georgia georgia i just i find that there's like almost no value to to be had with that because you know they do have a couple of marquee games there between a&m and, and notre dame both of them are at home though so that i mean that certainly that helps 
but you know this is there's there's some trap games there there's a game at Tennessee that some some close friends of mine think is is a very real way a real chance of Georgia slipping up and also going to Auburn is pretty brutal mm. uh, also and Fl- Florida is going to be very good this year so thinking that Georgia gets out of those completely unscathed or which is how you win that bet I'd I would go the under and I other otherwise just probably wouldn't touch this total it's too much it's very big of you to say that thank you thank uh, but you. it makes sense uh what about what about lsu which sits at nine wins for the over under um that they're a team that you know they're it's kind of do or die at this point i mean this is their last year of joe burrow that you know, they have the the pieces around that they, they've been talking about being more multiple on offense the defense is ridiculous grant delpit's going to be like a top five pick at safety kilovan chase on is uh, just a classic LSU guy with a cool name. He's coming back from an ACL, but he's incredible. And they, they got a lot of other talent there. So I think, you know, they have to win more than nine games. So they just have to, if they can survive with two losses, one of them is going to be to Alabama. I feel fairly certain of that. That's going to be in Tuscaloosa. But I think LSU can can get out of this season 10-2. and two. So I, I do like that total a little bit. It makes you a little bit scared asking that much through, for an SEC West team. But if no i think they're pretty clearly the second best team in that division yeah that's what scares me with some of these like with the exception of alabama and and georgia to some extent is just like i mean i'm not breaking any news here but week in and week out you have a chance to lose just about any game Uh, i mean you really can't say that about any other conference no uh missouri's at eight and a half missouri you know like, like we were saying earlier that there's a chance where this the first two months of the schedule are just so favorable um, mm-hmm. To where that they could they could be cruising into November with at the very least seven wins. Um, they wrap up I think the season against Arkansas, which is another likely win. So that that kind of they're probably going to lose to Georgia. They might lose to Florida, although they will be at home. They hammered Florida last year in mm-hmm. the swamp, which was just bonkers. Um, but I think that yeah, that eight and a half is a tantalizing number for Missouri. Um, but I'm kind of buying it. I think I think that there's a, a very decent chance that they, they go over that eight and a half threshold. But I understand that the concern of Missouri not being like that traditional nine win powerhouse mm-hmm. in the SEC, although they are the two time East champions. Since oh, they joined. They? Uh, so you mentioned Tennessee as kind of maybe a dark horse threat to, to upset a team like Georgia. Uh, they begin on August 31st, home against Georgia State. They get BYU in week two, Chattanooga in week three. So you would think a, a pretty mocks. realistic chance, yes, the old mocks, uh, of being 3-0 and heading into um, you know what will be obviously a very difficult game in the Swamp on September 21st. Their over-under sits at 6.5. It's just finally the year that Tennessee is back. I, I don't know how back they are but they're back to being respectable i okay. think at the very least the the talent that jeremy pruitt has acquired there it, it, you know we're going to start to see it pay off they they really hammered the the offensive line recruiting this year i think they got two of the top 20 uh, overall players in the country and they're both of them were offensive linemen so a lot to look forward to in the trenches there i think jared garantano is going to fit well with the jim cheney offense um, i think that cheney should be able to get uh, the most out of him they have so much experience like all across the board. I think according to Bill Connolly's returning production metric, only Western Michigan has more returning production, both on offense and defense. So that's tackles and interceptions, all that good stuff, all of that. So Tennessee has pretty much everybody back. And even though the, the, the record wasn't pretty last year, they gave pretty much everybody a game for the most part, other than maybe like the Alabama game. But six and a half wins, like, you, you know, you're basically just betting them on being respectable bowl level. I, I'm right. I'm totally good with that. Well, if you think they're going to beat Georgia State, BYU, Chattanooga, and then they have a late season home 
you know, somewhat of a cupcake against UAB. If they go 4-0 in those games, you need three wins out of Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Like, that seems very reasonable. It, yeah, it does. So I, I feel more strongly about them being an eight-win team than a six-win team. All right, I'm on board with that. Uh, anything else you want to end with? We kind of have to get get kicked out of here. We we do. So I mean that 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 about wraps it up. I think we hit the SEC from from the necessary angles and and all that good stuff. So we'll be back next week. We'll look at another conference or two before uh, before you know the following week. We'll we'll get into the nitty gritty of, of week zero too. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.